From the wilderness of Kodiak Island, Alaska, this is Murder and Mystery in the Last Frontier with your host, Robin Bearfield. In a land full of peril and vicious animals, humans are the most dangerous predators of all. The deadliest marine disaster on the west coast of North America occurred in Lynn Canal on October 24, 1918, but few people have ever heard of it. Approximately 345 people died when the SS Princess Sophia slid off Vanderbilt Reef and sank. Did the captain's recklessness cause the disaster? And did his poor decision-making doom the passengers and crew of the Princess Sophia? The Princess Sophia was a passenger liner in the Coastal Service Fleet of the Canadian Pacific Railway, or the CPR. The ship was launched in May 1911. So by October 1918, it was only seven and one-half years old. The ship was strong and durable with a double steel hull. It measured 245 feet or 75 meters in length and could comfortably carry 250 passengers and up to 500 passengers with special permission. On October 23, 1918, the Princess Sophia was at capacity. The exact number of people on board will never be known due to the likelihood of stowaways and a sloppy crew manifest, but at least 18 babies and children counted among the passengers. This voyage was the last run south of the year for the Princess Sophia, and folks eager to leave Alaska before the cold, harsh winter booked passage to travel to one of the ports of call along Sophia's route. According to the schedule, the Sophia planned to stop at Juneau, Alaska, Ketchikan, Alaska, Wrangell, Alaska, Prince Rupert, British Columbia, Alert Bay, B.C., Vancouver, B.C., and Victoria, B.C. Those booked on the Princess Sophia included gold miners, business people, officials, and riverboat men who had made their way to Skagway from the interior of Alaska. Many had traveled down the Yukon River before it froze and now planned to head south on the Sophia. A party ensued on the night of October 22nd to send the Sophia and her passengers on their way. The sourdough dance in Skagway brought men and women from across Alaska and the Yukon together to bid their friends a safe voyage. The United States had recently joined the war effort, and the troops were treated like celebrities. Rumors about World War I drawing to a close added to the festivity of the celebration. The Princess Sophia was scheduled to depart Skagway at 7 p.m. on October 23, 1918. But the boat did not leave until 10.10 p.m., three hours behind schedule. Captain Leonard Locke pushed the boat hard to make up time for the late departure. Leonard Locke, 66, was a seasoned captain who had run boats on the Northwest Pacific for 25 years. He'd navigated the waters between Skagway and Juneau numerous times. But in the early morning hours of October 24th, Locke made a fatal error. 
Not long after leaving Skagway, the northerly wind accelerated to 50 knots, which is 55 miles per hour or 88.5 kilometers per hour. An hour later, heavy snow and fog completely obscured the visibility. The Sophia had limited navigational technology, and the captain miscalculated the ship's distance from shore. To determine their position in the raging wind and blinding snow, the crew used dead reckoning by blowing the ship's whistle and then calculating the ship's position based on the time it took for the echo to return. This method was doomed for failure amid a storm packing deafening winds. Lynn Canal stretches 84 miles, or 135 kilometers, between Skagway and Juneau. The canal never widens to more than 10 miles, or 16 kilometers across, and high winds funnel through the passage, creating dangerous sea conditions. Mariners consider Lynn Canal the most treacherous stretch of water in the 1,000-mile or 1,609-kilometer voyage between Vancouver and Skagway. To make the canal even more challenging to navigate, 60 miles or 97 kilometers south of Skagway, in the middle of the channel, sits Vanderbilt Reef, a 7-mile or 11-kilometer long submerged rock. Depending on the tide, Vanderbilt Reef often remains hidden just beneath the surface of the water. In 1918, the reef was marked with a bell buoy, only visible during the daylight hours. In 1917, the CPR submitted a request to have a light installed on the reef, but the U.S. government vetoed the idea, claiming it needed all available funds to fight the war. The CPR required its captains to proceed slowly through Lynn Canal, but Locke, probably as an attempt to make up lost time due to the late start from Skagway, sped down the canal at 11 knots or 18 kilometers per hour, despite the blinding snow and fierce wind. Mariners usually avoid Vanderbilt Reef by navigating through the three-mile-wide or five-kilometer channel between the reef and the eastern shore of Lynn Canal. Unfortunately, though, Locke miscalculated his position. Due to the wind and tide, the Princess Sophia had veered three miles, or five kilometers, west of its intended course. And at 2 a.m., Locke steered the ship directly into Vanderbilt Reef. The violent impact tossed passengers from their beds. The captain ordered the wireless operator to send out a distress call, while Locke and his crew took stock of the situation. The ship sat grounded on Vanderbilt Reef, but the hull remained intact. The vessel was not taking on water, and although the storm raged around them, the captain felt they could wait for a calming trend before they evacuated the passengers. Several small boats soon arrived on the scene of the grounded ship. The boaters realized an evacuation of the passengers and crew would be difficult under the current sea conditions, but they offered their help. Captain Locke used a megaphone to tell the men in the small boats to go back to shelter. He insisted the Princess Sophia was safe. 
At 5 a.m. on the high tide, the ship ground noisily on the rock, but it remained aground. It also did not float free on the evening tide. The evening did bring more help, though, when the United States Lighthouse Service Lighthouse Tender, Cedar, arrived. J.W. Ledbetter, the captain of the Cedar, contacted Captain Locke on the wireless and asked Locke if he wanted to try to evacuate some of his passengers that night. Locke told Ledbetter the wind and tide were too strong to attempt an evacuation, and he wanted to wait until daylight. When Ledbetter arrived on the scene at 8 p.m., he joined three large fishing vessels, including the fishing schooner King and Wing, and approximately 15 smaller boats, all eager to assist in rescuing people from the Sophia. Captain J.J. Miller on the King and Wing circled the Princess Sophia all night, keeping a careful watch on the ship. By 9 a.m. on October 25th, the wind began to rise toward gale strength, and the smaller boats ran for shelter. Ledbetter on the Cedar formulated a dangerous plan. Despite the brutal wind, he decided to try to anchor the Cedar downwind from the reef and shoot a line, possibly with a Lyle gun, to the Princess Sophia. He then believed they could evacuate the passengers by breeches buoy, which is a canvas seat on a rope that acts much like a zip line. The idea was crazy and dangerous, but Ledbetter believed it was the only way to get the people off the ship. Ledbetter tried twice to drop his anchor, but in the heavy current the anchor would not catch bottom. Locke sent Ledbetter a wireless message saying it was no use and they would have to wait for low tide when perhaps conditions would improve. Let me take a short break from the story. In addition to writing about true crime and mystery, I am also an author. I've written four Alaska wilderness mystery novels, and my latest release is a nonfiction book about the wildlife of Kodiak Island. In Murder Over Kodiak, a float plane mysteriously explodes over Kodiak Island, killing the pilot and his five passengers. In The Fisherman's Daughter, a serial killer stalks the residents of the island, and authorities rush to catch him before more women die. And in my most recent novel, Carlick Bones, two young men set out for a hunting trip on Kodiak, expecting the adventure of a lifetime. But instead, they find themselves in the middle of a terrifying nightmare. Read one of my novels and take a trip to beautiful, dangerous, mysterious Kodiak Island. For more information about my books and where you can find them, please check the show notes or search for my name or the titles of my books on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, and other online booksellers. The weather did not improve, but instead grew steadily worse. By 1 p.m., both the Cedar and the King and Wing struggled to stay on station near the Sophia. Finally, the two boats had to move to the lee of Sentinel Island. Miller boarded the Cedar, and he and Ledbetter discussed a rescue plan. 
they decided the king and wing would anchor near the reef while the cedar remained to the windward side of the king and wing, creating a lee or a calmer spot by blocking the wind with the bulk of the cedar. Ledbetter would then launch the cedar's lifeboats to pick up the people from the Princess Sophia and ferry them to the king and wing. This plan would eliminate the hazards of lowering the lifeboats from the Princess Sophia into the pounding surf. The idea seemed solid, but it would not work unless the weather improved. Both captains felt the Princess Sophia was stable for the present. Despite the heavy pounding, it remained grounded on the rock. The men decided to wait until the next day to implement their plan. By early afternoon, though, the wind was gusting to 100 miles per hour, or 161 kilometers per hour. At 4.50 p.m., just as Miller headed back to his boat from the Cedar, 20-year-old David Robeson, the Princess Sophia's radio operator, sent a message in Morse code. The message said, Taking water and foundering. For God's sake, come and save us. As the tide rose, the fierce waves lifted the stern of the Princess Sophia free of the reef, but the bow remained stuck to the rock. The storm surge pushed the stern sideways, and the boat swung 180 degrees, facing the bow upwind. As the bow scraped against the reef, the steel plates peeled from the bottom, and water rushed into the lower spaces. At 5.20 p.m. on October 25th, the Princess Sophia began slipping stern first off the reef. David Robeson wired a message from the Princess Sophia. For God's sake, hurry! Water coming into room! Ledbetter noted that the radio signal from the Princess Sophia was weak. He radioed Robeson and told him to conserve power and only transmit if absolutely necessary. Robeson replied, All right, I will. You talk to me so I know you are coming. This was the final message Robeson sent from the Princess Sophia. The cedar left its sheltered spot and headed out into the storm, but soon Ledbetter realized he and his crew could do nothing in the heavy wind and high waves to save those stranded on the Princess Sophia. The visibility was so bad, Ledbetter could not accurately determine his position, and the cedar ran the risk of also ending up on Vanderbilt Reef. Ledbetter quickly headed back to the protection of Sentinel Island and hoped the Sophia could survive the high tide and remain stuck atop the rock until morning. The barometer was rising, so perhaps by morning the storm would abate. The next morning it was still snowing, but the wind had lessened. The Cedar, the King and Wing, and the other rescue boats headed out to check on the Princess Sophia. What they found horrified and sickened them. During the previous evening, the Princess Sophia had slid off Vanderbilt Reef and sank. Only 40 feet or 12.2 meters of the foremast of the ship remained above water. The rescue vessels scoured the area for three hours searching for survivors, but all they found were dead bodies. They noted the watches on the bodies had all stopped at 5.50 p.m. The Princess Sophia sank 30 minutes after David Robeson's last message. No one knows what happened on the Princess Sophia, 
but experts who studied and reconstructed the accident believe it took approximately one hour for the stern to rise, the boat to swing around, and the steel plates to rip from the bottom. What went through the minds of the passengers and crew while all this happened? Terror and panic must have filled their last minutes. Many of those on board wrote notes to loved ones or penned last wills and placed them in their pockets. One letter described the terrible noise inside the ship from the relentless storm and pounding surf. There was no organized evacuation. Many people wore life jackets, but the eight steel lifeboats sank and the two wooden ones floated away. Oddly, about 100 people remained in their cabins when the boat sank. Why they did not attempt to evacuate remains one of the many mysteries of this disaster. As seawater flooded the Princess Sophia, the boiler exploded, buckling the deck and killing some on the lower decks. Many of the passengers jumped into the water, and some of those died from drowning or hypothermia. The majority of the passengers, though, died of asphyxiation from choking on fumes when the double-bottom fuel tanks gave way. Within the first hour, searchers recovered over 100 bodies. Oil covered most of the corpses, making it impossible to identify the individuals. The bodies were taken to Juneau and laid out in a warehouse where volunteers cleaned them with gasoline to remove the oil so friends and family could identify them. For the next several months, bodies washed up along the shores of Lynn Canal, ranging from 30 miles north to 30 miles south of Vanderbilt Reef. Searchers recovered 180 bodies from the water and beaches, and divers found another 100 bodies trapped in the ship. They found many of the corpses floating in their cabins. The dead included Walter Harper, the first man to reach the summit of Denali, after all the dangers he faced climbing the mountains, he probably never considered he would die in a shipwreck. The CPR dispatched two divers to recover 230 pounds of gold in a safe located below the deck. The divers had to remove the body of a dead horse to reach the safe, but they surfaced with gold valued at $70,000. In addition to the human passengers, the Princess Sophia carried 24 horses and at least five dogs on its final voyage. One of the dogs, an English setter owned by a wealthy couple on board, was the only survivor of the disaster. The dog swam to shore and reportedly lived to an old age. He remained terrified of the water for the rest of his life. An official inquiry into the sinking of the Princess Sophia occurred almost immediately after the disaster, but legal action brought by the families of the passengers continued for 30 years. Two major allegations were made against Captain Locke. The first focused on the speed the Sophia was traveling when it wrecked on Vanderbilt Reef. At the time of the accident, weather conditions were poor with almost no visibility and 50 knot or 88.5 kilometer per hour winds. CPR policy demanded a reduction in speed to seven knots or 13 kilometers per hour in heavy weather, 
but the Sophia maintained a speed of 11 to 12 knots or 20 to 22 kilometers per hour while navigating through the storm. Most assume the captain did not slow down because he was trying to make up the time lost due to the late start from Skagway. The second allegation against Locke was made by the captains of the vessels on scene at the wreck waiting to help offload the passengers from the Princess Sophia. Nearly all these captains agreed that Captain Locke made a grave error by not evacuating the passengers during the daylight hours of October 24th, when the storm abated for a few hours. The Cedar did not arrive on site until the evening of October 24th, and Captain Ledbetter stated he never saw good enough conditions to rescue passengers. The captains who came earlier in the day, though, said they believed Locke could have offloaded the passengers then. Unfortunately, Captain Locke noted the rising barometer and thought the wind and waves should soon subside. He judged the boat was safe sitting on the reef and thought it prudent to wait for calm seas before offloading the passengers. Other ships had grounded on Vanderbilt Reef and suffered little damage. The disaster of the Clallam probably also affected Locke's decision not to evacuate the passengers from the Sophia. On January 8, 1904, the Clallam, under the command of Captain George Roberts, encountered a severe storm while crossing the Strait of Juan de Fuca while traveling to Victoria, British Columbia. Water began pouring into the ship through a broken porthole, and the pumps could not keep up with it. Captain Roberts believed the Clallam was about to sink, so he ordered the three lifeboats lowered, and he evacuated mostly women and children. All three boats either capsized or failed to launch correctly, killing the 54 passengers aboard them. Meanwhile, the Clallam remained afloat until rescue vessels arrived to evacuate the remaining passengers and crew. Was Locke thinking about the Clallam disaster when he decided not to attempt an evacuation in marginal weather? The decision would have been a difficult one, and in the end, the official inquiry did not blame the CPR or Captain Locke. The Ministry of Marine concluded that right or wrong, Locke's decision not to evacuate the passengers was within the reasonable range of judgment of the captain. Why is the Princess Sophia disaster a forgotten story? For one thing, a few weeks after the ship sank, the armistice ending World War I was signed. Another reason was that people around the world were fighting the horrible pandemic of the 1918-1919 flu, often called the Spanish flu. Few had time to notice the news about a shipwreck in a remote corner of the world. Also, no human survived the wreck and sinking of the Princess Sophia, so no one could say what happened aboard the ship during the 40 hours it sat atop Vanderbilt Reef and then slid into the ocean. We can only imagine the terror and hopelessness the passengers felt as the Sophia ground against the reef 
and water began flooding into the ship. Thank you for listening, and I hope you enjoyed this episode. Thank you to my patrons for your support. Check out the show notes for more information on how you can support this podcast and unlock extra episodes by joining the Last Frontier Club. You can also search for this podcast on Patreon to learn more about the Last Frontier Club. I'll see you soon for the next episode of Murder and Mystery in the Last Frontier. Thank you.